Thank you, uh, JNUC, JNU Student Union, and uh, thanks to Rajiv for giving me this opportunity here. And uh, I have known Rajiv for quite a few years now. We have worked together on some of the seminars in U.S., and uh, there are publications which have come out. And I'm uh, really uh, thankful to uh, JNUSU for organizing this event here because uh, the students have to be aware of the conspiracies happening everywhere against what is Sanskrit, what is India. Uh, Sanskrit has been at a very receiving end, actually, in India, in, in uh, post-independence India, and, and after 19th century when the Western Indologists create, uh, created a fashionable branch of study called Sanskritic Indology uh, everywhere in the West, and so many departments open. And initially it appeared that probably we are, they are doing it with uh, right purpose. And later on, Rajiv notes in his book, that we have to study someone if you want to destroy him or her. So uh, that could have been the real motive. Sanskritic studies have uh, suffered uh, in the age of Macaulay-inspired education in India. So it has been an unfairly criticized language and uh, unfairly represented language, uh, especially in India. Um, more than in the West, it, in India, we have represented Sanskrit in a much more negative manner uh, used because of mostly of our and a vote-bent politics uh, in the post-independent India that has harmed Sanskrit more than it has harmed India, actually. And in the West, there has been a, a negative propaganda uh, in partnership with the Desi intellectuals. And, uh, well, I'm included in that. And uh, so I'm critiquing myself. Uh, and uh, in that partnership, uh, we create a very negative and disrespectful image of Sanskrit. And we do that on one hand, and on the other hand, we, we uh, secretly uh, research the fundamental text of Sanskrit to create new ideas uh, and to bring new ideas out of that. And now, Sanskrit is the language with highest number of universities, uh, relatively less favored in schools. Why do we not include or encourage Sanskrit in schools? Do we not want students to uh, join colleges and universities? So uh, you see the controversy uh, of Sanskrit versus German and all that. And our, our kids are progressively being exposed to global content and propaganda in our living rooms. I was watching a television program. Actually, I was working on my laptop. My kid was watching a television program, a Japanese serial, translated in Hindi. And there were, there were three kids talking to each other. One kid says to other, if you do my work, I'll give you an award. A reward, I'll reward you. The third kid asks, what will be the reward? He says, this kid's wife. So you can reward someone with someone's wife in a foreign culture, not in India. So if kids continue watching, continue to watch such things in our living rooms, we don't know what kind of citizens we are going to get tomorrow. So uh, this is a very serious problem. Well, in one uh, estimate, 95% of Sanskrit texts are uh, scientific texts. That includes philosophy. But uh, Sanskrit is linked to religion and esoteric practices. And our students in Sanskrit Center are working, uh, actually very closely with scientists, to do uh, uh, comparative research. We have writers of traditional scholars, but they can't communicate in the language and vocabulary that the world understands. So we allow the Westerners to study us, critique us, and we don't study them. And Rajiv would like us to uh, study them equally well and, and, and critique on them. <coughs> we have largest number of manuscripts that any civilization has produced. Uh, there's a one rough estimate, 30 million still waiting to be digitized. But these manuscripts are better, in better condition, and more accessible if they are in foreign country. 
Well, our students were looking for manuscripts. We found some manuscripts in very good condition in Bangladesh and in Pakistan and in Germany, in Nepal, but not in India. So uh, despite uh, of so much of resources in the country now, we are still a very poor caretaker of our own resources. And that gives more opportunity to uh, outsiders to fish in the troubles. Sanskrit can have opportunities in virtually every field of study, but a lack of proper deduction pins it down. And Sanskrit Commission reports, if you uh, uh, want to see the first Sanskrit Commission report, you will get an idea of what I'm saying. Many wonders of modern sciences have sources have in Sanskrit, but credit generally goes to the West. Oldest language in the Indo-European family, but it does not get the credit. And if you read uh, Conrad's uh, work and papers, you will, be, uh, you will be more willing to believe that, yes, the, uh, the Sanskrit actually belonged to this country, and it probably went outside from here. Now, they constructed a proto-Indo-European fiction uh, to uh, prove a point that, you know, the Sanskrit came from the West to India. So uh, the two uh, basic topics that I'm going to briefly touch upon uh, that uh, is very important in Raji's book, the Sanskrit relationship with its vernaculars and other Indian languages. Now, uh, it's very clear, Panini calls his language as Bhasha. Bhasha is the ordinarily spoken language. As uh, my mother tongue would be Maithili, that's Maithili's Bhasha for me. When the language surveyors go to villages asking for which language you speak, people say, I, I speak Bhasha. This is the language I speak. Right? Unless you have more than one language in the region, you would just call it Bhasha. You'll not name it uh, A, B, or C. So Pandi's language is Bhasha. He writes the grammar for the language, and that language gets uh, Sanskritized, and is called Sanskrit afterwards, and becomes the main carrier of the intellectual tradition in the country. That's pretty much it. And other languages have uh, drawn heavily from Sanskrit, as we today draw from the dominant language in our, in our region. And, but there's one thing, something very unusual about Sanskrit. That after Panini's grammar, Sanskrit kind of resisted changes. And that doesn't mean to say that Sanskrit uh, got fossilized or Sanskrit got artificialized. But uh, there was uh, the intellectuals all over the country, they preferred uh, a much more standard language so that they could write and be understood all over the country. If I wrote in standard Sanskrit, I would be understood in South India, in the Western India, in Eastern India, Northern India. If I wrote in a regional variety of Sanskrit, one of the Prakris or one of the uh, Pali languages, I would be understood only in one of the regions. So therefore, when Buddha promoted Pali, uh, when he was talking to uh, villagers in Bihar or elsewhere, he would certainly use a local variety, which was more commonly understood. But when the scholars of Buddhism chose to write uh, a Buddhist philosophy in, uh, in, in Pali, they were not understood well all over the country, so they chose then to write in Buddhist hybrid Sanskrit, Sanskrit mixed with Pali. Even that was not sufficient. And finally, they switched to Sanskrit. The Mahayana Buddhists switched to Sanskrit completely. That clearly indicates the necessity for scholars to choose a language which is clearly understood, uh, understood all over the country. Something uh, English uh, does it today in India, and of course, Hindi is uh, becoming uh, a language of that kind, progressively. So uh, Sanskrit's uh, importance uh, has to be understood uh, from various perspectives. I bring in the perspective of technology. Well, look at the uh, figures. Uh, as per the census of India, uh, we have uh, 14,000 speakers of Sanskrit and 49,000 speakers of Arabic in this country. That also points out to the fallacy of the methods used by the language surveyors in the country. And a rough estimate, my rough estimate would be there are half a million Sanskrit speakers in the country. There are 17 universities, 150 departments, hundreds of schools. If you count the students, there will be certainly more than half a million people who can speak uh, some Sanskrit. 
No state owns it. So it is a, a language which is not regional, except Uttarancha recently gave it some status. But we can have scholars using Sanskrit all over the country. Something similar to English is not owned by any state, but scholars can speak it all over. Mother of most of Indo-Aryan languages, and, uh, and uh, to, in, in my view, Dravidian is not really a different family. Uh, it's part of the same Indic family, uh, which has two major branches, south of India and north of India. And if you combine that, you have 96% people of the country speaking the uh, Sanskritic uh, languages. You know, if you count the number of vocabulary in South Indian languages, Malayalam has as much as 75% vocabulary. That's the youngest Sanskrit language. And the least vocabulary is in Tamil, which is 49%. So you can imagine uh, the kind of impact Sanskrit has had, not only in vocabulary, but also the Sanskritism. The ism that Sanskrit actually, uh, in terms of literature, uh, you know, culture, philosophy, and sciences, that has, it has impacted the languages of, of India all over. The source of India's intellectual, religious, spiritual power and common source of vocabulary uh, for, of course, Indian languages and many of the European languages. There are hundreds and thousands of vocabularies uh, of Sanskrit uh, in European languages. Source of much of Indian uh, language, literature, art and culture and, of course, language of religion. And more importantly for me, it has inspired grammar writing in Indian languages. Now, for a computational linguist, I don't need to write grammars of all Indian languages separately from the computer's perspective. So I write a core grammar, which will have certainly the Sanskrit elements, which will be commonly understood by all the grammars, and then we have plugins. So plugin for Tamil, plugin for Malayalam and, and Gujarati, etc. But the common core can, can, uh, continues to be. And as an example of it, uh, under Microsoft Research, we did a uh, research and came up with a common mechanism to tag all Indian languages. So single mechanism can still tag all Indian languages in India. So there is more to connect Indian languages than to divide us. Now if you look at the uh, scheduled languages, uh, um, Indo-Aryan uh, languages are there, and there are four Dravidian languages, and uh, three languages of the Tibeto-Burman and Austroasiatic. And there are scripts, uh, most of the scripts are Brahmi-based in India, and only two scripts, uh, Persia Arabic and uh, Persian Arabic script actually is not uh, Brahmi-based, and of course Roman is not Brahmi-based. So there's a major part of India linguistically, and it owes uh, to uh, Sanskrit and Brahmi. So when uh, Pollock says Sanskrit is dead, I don't know what he means actually by that. So Sanskrit is multifaceted, multidisciplinary, and useful. Now in a commercialized India today, we, uh, we regard uh, things which are useful to us. Sanskrit is useful. It can be commercialized, can be useful to all Indian languages. So from that perspective also, we should retain Sanskrit and promote it. It is not just any other language. It is more than language. Professor Rao was saying that Sanskrit is not only a language. There are 17 universities only for language. That makes it an enviable language, uh, compared to, even compared to English. English doesn't have 17 universities in England even. So we have a much more powerful, powerful uh, language in, in India. When this German-Sanskrit controversy was going on, the German ambassador uh, had invited me for advice. And I told him, uh, I'm rephrasing it in uh, the local dialect. Don't take Panga with Sanskrit. It is a very powerful language in India. So you really have to be very careful about it. So Sanskrit is useful. Uh, uh, it defines India in many ways, uh, more ways than uh, we can even imagine, actually. The many ways, if you go to West, India uh, means Sanskrit, and Sanskrit means India uh, to, to many people. Linguistic and cultural sustenance for other Indian languages. Now, Indian languages, can you imagine an Indian language today without Sanskrit impact, Sanskrit vocabulary? I mean, there are new classical languages in India. They ask them, what makes you a classical language? 
you examine their literature, you see the themes of Sanskrit, you see themes of Mahabharata, you see themes of Kavya Shastra, you know, uh, all along, all Indian, Indian languages. Yoga and Ayurveda, certainly uh, international entities now, fundamental scientific ideas in Sanskrit. And I had a chance to explore one uh, scientific text called Rasayan Sar, the text of chemistry uh, from Banaras area with the University of Massachusetts. And we, uh, we have translated that book into English and is being researched by two PhD students at UMass Dartmouth. And we are going to find something very startling regarding nanoparticles uh, as uh, being used as bioenhancers in, uh, in US. But the, the sad part is the US is more interested in such explorations than, than Indian and Indian government, actually. Uh, fundamental scientific ideas in Sanskrit texts have to be explored further, and, uh, and then my area, computational linguistics and AI, and uh, you, would, you must have probably heard that Sanskrit is very precise, and it helps being a computer language. Uh, many people do not know what they are saying, but then yes, Sanskrit is uh, very, art, uh, very, very close to being an artificial language for mechanical purposes, and therefore, uh, Personally, I don't believe uh, that many people should speak Sanskrit. I take a revolutionary position in my department. Now, uh, because if you start speaking Sanskrit very popularly, it starts to change. And when it starts to change, it behaves like an ordinary language. And then machines don't like such ordinary languages. And we want a very, a very mechanical language where uh, we can express commonsensical knowledge to the machine using a natural language like Sanskrit. So it's a powerful tool for artificial intelligence and computational linguistics. It is more powerful uh, because we can develop technology for Indian languages having a common core. It simplifies technology development, it reduces cost, and less requirement for maintaining the uh, software. So therefore, it is much more useful uh, 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 to me particularly, e-learning and animation. So we have done animated uh, Jata Kathas. Uh, you can go to my site, sanskrit.jnuri Jata Kathas, see if there's something anti-Sanskrit in them or anti-Hindu in them. Buddhism never opposed Hinduism, Professor Rao rightly said, and um, uh, Rajiv rightly mentions in his book, that in India, we, these dichotomies don't exist. People are essentially multicultural, and they, 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 they respect each other. Even Charavakas uh, have, been, have been respected all over the country. It's a very, very, essentially a, a very, very tolerant society. Uh, I mean, all the discussion of intolerance in the country, actually. So, uh, so certainly there's a lot uh, uh, that can be done. Uh, and uh, briefly, uh, what should be done, um, so uh, just uh, one of the last slides, actually, preserve and promote traditional scholarship. That has certainly uh, uh, fallen um, back, actually. We haven't uh, uh, given a good room to uh, develop a traditional scholarship in the country. Um, uh, certainly, the Macaulay-inspired education is a, a big uh, responsibility for that. And we have to uh, uh, preserve and, and promote our heritage using IT and digital, uh, digital media, because that's what people know today. And uh, we have to translate key uh, Sanskrit texts so that our kids can read original Sanskrit texts and be prepared to answer uh, critiques from people like Sheldon Pollock. You know, uh, unless they read uh, the original text, they'll not be able to respond, uh, respond to uh, such criticisms from the West. We have to infuse contemporary studies into Sanskrit, certainly, and Sanskrit at all levels in schools, uh, Sanskrit positions in other departments. Now, the scientific department, for example, JNU, a biotechnology researcher can do much better research from our own tradition if he reads or is, has access to a Sanskrit text. So therefore, there's a Sanskrit teacher over there. He can, he can liaison with uh, such scholars and produce some original research in the country, uh, uh, relying on original texts of the country. And so, of course, we have to have a manpower training uh, of Sanskrit uh, scholars. Uh, my rough estimate is that there are approximately 10,000 grad students doing Sanskrit studies in the country. So we hope to do training of all of them uh, sometime in the near future. 
and be able to uh, turn it right. So, well, thank you very much. I don't want to actually continue uh, next. Uh, many of you will probably even go to my site and see what we do in JNU. So, thank you very much, and I hope there will be some questions.